for that. Thank you for that warm invitation. And great joy to be here with you tonight. I can sense God's presence. Always a joy to stand behind the sacred desk and to know that there's friends in the camp. Hallelujah. I must say, the last place I preached internationally, a couple got up. They didn't like what I had to say and walked out on me. So I hope that uh, I'm not going to have that tonight. But I have been known to light a few fires. And so I was a pyromaniac when I was a kid. I don't know why it comes on me, but it does when I get in such uh, kinds of environments as this. If I could be used by God uh, to stir things up, put some fire, Holy Ghost fire, not strange fire, Holy Ghost fire, underneath some feet tonight, I would consider it mission accomplished for the glory of our Lord. Let me open, as you're turning in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14, with a a letter that was transcribed in English from a Russian uh, young lady, and I was absolutely transfixed as she was giving her testimony, a young lady about 20 years old, and as the pastor, uh, the leader of the Russian Fellowship, I was there last month uh, for their conference, he was translating for me and uh, absolutely um, uh, was gripped and asked if he would uh, get a, um, uh, a written account of that. And so here it is. I'm going to share this. Hello. I'm very happy to describe the glory of God, which is showed in my life by Jesus Christ. My name is Elvira. I'm 20 years old. I'm from uh, Kostroma, Russia. All my relatives are Muslims. And in all my life, I had only known one God, Allah, and no other gods. We weren't radical Muslims. There was only chaos in our home. And my parents' life was without any perspective. I saw their life and faith, and I didn't have any desire to live. When I was 15, I first heard about Jesus. And at that moment, I didn't understand that he is God, because only Allah was God in my life. Christians told me that Jesus loves me. He can forgive all my sins, and he promises me an everlasting life. I was very surprised. I had never heard those words before. Without any doubts, I opened my heart for Jesus Christ. It was as if all the demons from hell attacked me. I met the strongest confrontation from my Muslim relatives. When I began to visit the church, I was struck by a heavy disease. A person with such a disease usually dies or becomes crazy. It was meningitis. My backbone was full of inflammation, which can get into my brain at any moment, and I could die. I had about a 75% chance of dying. But it's wonderful that at that moment I knew about God the healer. Our church was praying and fasting that the Lord would save my life and heal me. I believe that Jesus couldn't forget his newborn daughter. God gave an answer to our prayer in a wonderful way, the inflammation totally gone. Doctors were very surprised. They were shocked. It was the healing that made my faith in Jesus stronger. When my parents saw the strong faith, they became angry. They told me to get out of the house. But even in that situation, Jesus didn't forget me. He prepared a place to live, food, money, and support, which I needed so much. I couldn't say that it was easy, but God said that he's a rock for those who believe in him. I pray and believe that my family will be saved one day and will give their hearts to Jesus. Later, my parents asked me to come back home. Hallelujah. Jesus proved that he is God I can trust, and there is no other gods. Only Jesus is worthy of all the glory. Um, hallelujah. Can we give God some praise for that? Glory be. 
unto the Lamb of God, hallelujah, that was slain before the foundations of the world. Halamakoroboshai. Glory to God. I want to preach tonight and take a page from this young lady's uh, uh, testimony. And I want to say that this young lady embodies the very spirit of Christianity, yea, of our fellowship tonight, of uh, radical Christians. We're not going to reach the world if we do the same old, same old that the religious circus is doing, the religious freak show around us. We're going to need some radical Christians tonight. I think I've come to the right place. Can I get, can I get me a witness? Amen. I want to preach tonight on a message I've entitled, The Walk on the Wild Side. And really, it has to do with courage for God. When I think back to the time when I got saved in 1974 as a young man, 19 years old, it wasn't the appeal of endless church services, thousands of do's and don'ts that just absolutely captivated my heart and drew me, I've got to give my, my all to, the, uh, to this, uh, to this uh, organization or to this cause. But really, what caused me to make a very radical decision, still radical, to reorient my life to follow the Lord, was the appeal of the Master to come and follow Him, and that He would lead my life um, on the greatest adventure that I could ever imagine. This would involve the supernatural. This would involve encountering and defeating demons. This would involve, uh, hallelujah, being able to lay hands on the sick and see miracles take place. Uh, in other words, uh, of making a difference in the earth. In other words, of knowing the true God and doing exploits in His name. There's an old saying, small plans seldom inflame the minds of men. When I first got saved, the heavy band in Prescott was Eden. They used to sing a song, and I won't... Uh, I won't test your patience and Christian love tonight by singing it, but I'll quote the words. If nobody does nothing, my friend, we'll never get much higher. You know, there's a lot of truth to that, and I can see the uh, smiles in some of the old timers. If nobody does nothing, my friend, we'll never get much higher. Karl Marx had this, the philosophers have only interpreted the world in various ways. The point, however, is to change it. So I want to take aim at the true gospel calling and um, hopefully prompt some folks um, to see what God has for us out of this text and, and to say, here, my Lord, let me walk out of the boat. Verse 23, Matthew chapter 14. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be you, bid me come unto thee on the water. And Jesus said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore did you doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased him. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth thou art the Son of God. 
I uh, missed verse 22. Straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples. So in other words, he's the one put him in the boat and sent him into the storm. I want to consider, first of all, if we're going to seriously. Now, uh, Pastor Mammon, I appreciate the invitation to come and address this congregation. And uh, my understanding is this is a pioneer uh, uh, series of meetings. We're talking about uh, pioneering. And so I want to stick to the task. I want to talk to you about pioneering. I want to speak about um, uh, this subject in a very um, uh, hopefully persuasive way. Whether you are called to go out to be a pioneer or to be a missionary that goes and invades some of the strongholds of hell, or whether you are those precious saints of God that hold the ropes that enable others to go fulfill their call, uh, all of us, in one way or another, have um, a part to play in pioneering. If we're going to pioneer, we're going to have to be men and women uh, of daring. Can you say men? I want to consider that daring... And I want you to think about this, attracts the attention of God, daring, and somebody that can say, God, I'm not content with the status quo. I don't want to merely just to flow in the, uh, uh, just, uh, the, uh, the common or the mediocre of life. Um, and God, I have got a flair that uh, wants to um, uh, do something different. Uh, I'm uh, open to um, uh, uh, move out beyond the, uh, the boundaries of safety, God. I'm willing to risk some things for God. Uh, and the possibilities of the real gospel is to get us, uh, as we hear all the time, to think outside the box or, if you'll indulge me, to walk outside the boat. To me, this is a perfect illustration of pioneering, just what we have in our text. Jesus told them to do this. Now all hell in her fury has come and erupted against them. Can I be brutally honest with you? I, I, you know, I've, I've come to the place, you know, there's gray hair on my head for a reason. <laughs> and, and I want to tell you, I don't want to send anybody out under any kinds of delusions uh, if you're going to step up to the plate, if you're going to pioneer, you know, just do a little research about pioneering in, the, in uh, building cities or, build, you know, uh, getting in a, uh, a wagon and going out west and having to fight the elements and, uh, and people that don't want you to do that. Pioneering in the spiritual sense uh, is no different. Um, and so um, you're not going to have uh, the question of if, but the question of uh, is uh, when is it going to strike? Um, and probably sooner than later, hell is going to raise up uh, uh, a tissy fit. Uh, and remember this, they are in the perfect will of God for their lives. You know, here they've launched themselves out. They're in their little dinghy. They're doing what God has told them to do. They're going across. This is, Jesus said, this is the direction. Here's the call. Get in the boat. Go. We're having a special launching. Laying hands. And there you go. It's the perfect will of God. Then the gales, the nor'easter, or if the case be the west, easter, comes. Typhoon comes to fellowship with you and your little boat. You and your wife have, you know, been all excited. You've been launched out. You got the U-Haul or whatever, and you've gone down the highway, and you got your first flat tire or your first time you forgot to check. They, they rented you one of these, 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 uh, these trucks, and the, and the gas gauge is busted out, and uh, you run out of gas on the side of the road, and you're wondering, my God, did we hear from God? 
and it won't take long. And you're going to believe in the devil. Hey, hallelujah. If you're having some problems believing the Lord, you believe in a devil pretty quick when you pioneer. <laughs> now, what's the tendency at such times? The answer is that just like the disciples were doing is to hunker down and just try to hang on. Just try to make it through. And this is our first inclination anytime the storms break out upon our life. In other words, we get freaked out. We respond in a very human fashion, of course. We just try to hold on. We want to stay certainly in the boat or place of safety uh, and hope uh, uh, to dear God that we're going to make it through. Um, and, uh, and we begin to pray our rosary for the rapture that uh, we're going to get out of this uh, uh, very quickly. But you see, there's a couple of things to notice here, and that is that this storm was encountered uh, as they were going in the very will of God for their lives. You know, the storm did not catch God by surprise. It's, a, you know, as if Jesus is back in the, you know, the mountain place and he uh, is wringing his hands. And so, oh, you know, that dirty little devil snuck one in on me while I was praying. And there's my disciples, my top disciples out there uh, trying to do something for God. And that dirty devil, uh, he uh, just slipped one past me uh, here. You know, um, uh, he's at work to try to discourage my men and launch a sneak attack on my disciples. Oh, no, friend, uh, there is nothing that catches God by surprise. Can you say amen? In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So, let's face it. This is talking about severe pressure that is going to come when it speaks this word tribulation. In other words, you're going to encounter all kinds of annoyances, all kinds of resistance uh, uh, to um, every um, uh, attempt to go over to the other side. In fact, any, any dimension of a breakthrough in the Christian life. If you're going to have a breakthrough in the body of Christ, you're a soul, you want to be a soul winner, you're going to have resistance to that. The moment that you make a commitment to win souls, you're going to have all kinds of, uh, of uh, diversions present themselves. The moment that you say you're going to fast to consecrate yourself and get a hold of God, uh, you're going to have a, a, a pit in the stomach that says, you know what, I must have my pepperoni pizza fix. Amen. The, you know, isn't it amazing? If you're not fasting, you can go up to about three in the afternoon if you're busy on a good day and you're not even, you don't even miss it. A lick. But uh, if you're fasting, the moment that you commit, you already start to get hungry. <laughs> and the reason you're laughing is you know it's true. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9, For a great and effectual door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Have you ever considered the origins of our movement? Pastor Mitchell, uh, back in the day, in 1970, came to Prescott, a little town of 15,000 Began to see the, the uh, Jesus People movement tied on to that. A number of hippies came in, got saved. One of the first couples they launched was Harold and Mona Warner. And, uh, and within a few services, the place in Kearney, uh, Arizona, they said, uh, you know, we changed our mind. We don't think your type of, uh, of uh, preacher is going to work here, be a good fit here for our little sleepy town. And so uh, uh, we withdraw our invitation. You go back where you come from, boy. And so Pastor Warner, another pastor, driving uh, on uh, a slippery road, and uh, they go off, they bust their back. And, and so just, you know, just think about this. Uh, this how unorthodox Pastor uh, Mitchell has uh, laid hands on uh, on uh, one of his top men, launched him out. Uh, 
You know what, church, glory to God. God is leading us to church planting glory. And so uh, within a matter of a couple weeks, uh, one of the uh, dear brothers has got a busted back in the hospital. Uh, and only, um, uh, only eternity is going to reveal all of the demon hornets that began to come, all the naysayers that began to chime, up, chime in, uh, and all the uh, uh, demonic um, uh, pressure that came to bear on Pastor Mitchell's mind uh, and uh, Pastor Mitchell's uh, 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 confidence and faith. You see, we used to have a saying, if the devil won't fight it, I don't want it. Now, the, the, it's been changed today. If the devil fights it, I just want to hang on and please get me through this, man. <laughs> or, I already tried church planting uh, and it really hurt, man. I'm interpreting my calling by the circumstances, uh, not by the unchanging, uh, unwavering divine mandate to go into all the world. Uh, we uh, have heard this, uh, uh, this uh, movie that's titled, uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, but uh, there's a Christian version. Uh, I shrunk the fellowship's uh, vision. I'm just a captain over 20. I'm just a captain over 40. I'm just a captain over 100 or 500. Uh, nice religious services with endless uh, uh, shuffling uh, of the uh, deck chairs on the Titanic uh, as the world is, is definitely uh, uh, heading to a, a, a conclusion as the pressure mounts in this balloon called this world. Uh, but you know what? Uh, that's not my call to make uh, real men uh, uh, disciples. Uh, my calling is just simply to, you know, just shepherd the, the little flock that God's given me uh, and bless the Lord. Let somebody else uh, uh, take the risk. Let's, uh, I tried it one time. That must mean that it's not my calling because the guy came back in a body bag. Uh, and, uh, and you know what? Um, I, uh, I don't think that's my calling. But this is where many are precisely wrong. James doesn't say ignore the devil and he'll flee. He says resist him. Yo, King James English, uh, where it says, quit you like men, that doesn't mean what English means today, go emo. <laughs> I learned a new word, and I love using new words that I learned. I was in San Diego at, uh, at uh, Starbucks, and uh, Joe Rice, uh, he was out in the car, hovering around. When I came out, he goes, oh, pastor, I just learned something new. Uh, my girls just pointed out this, this guy, and he's got these skinny little girl pants on, and he's wagging his little fanny as he walks along, uh, and he's got this big white leather belt with a buckle on his side uh, and looking like a gag, uh, but supposedly they're not uh, queer, uh, but they're just emo. And I said, what the heck is emo? And he says, emotional. How many of you know what emo was? How many? Raise your hand. See, the younger crowd knows the emo. And so you see, uh, there's a little emo spirit that has come in. Uh, and the old King James says, quit you like men. But literally it means, acquit yourself like a man and, um, and step up to the plate. Let me frame it to you this way. Breakthroughs into the new, pioneering or entering into new and larger areas of faith, uh, Walking with the God, advancing in the will of God, His purposes in the earth, genuine breakout ministry uh, is always going to be met uh, by fierce opposition. Uh, and unfortunately, we need to factor this in as well. There are those inside the camp that always manage to throw a cold blanket uh, on those that are rising up. I love the quote of Teddy Roosevelt. I, I wish that I could. Uh, I wish that we could pray for uh, reincarnation, but I know that's not Christian, so we can't pray for Teddy to. Come Come back and run for the next uh, president uh, uh, cycle. 
It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcomings, but who actually tries to do the deed and knows the great enthusiasm, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end uh, the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls uh, who know neither victory nor defeat. I want to point you to a much better way. Daring faith that catches God's eyes. Now, this passage of Scripture I've been dwelling with for a period of time, and it's absolutely uh, captivated my imagination. Here's Peter. He uh, wants to uh, uh, do what his master is doing. Now, think about this. This is fantastic. There's no, there's no need for Peter to uh, be able to do this. There's, there's nothing that, uh, that is uh, vital to uh, redemption or, or uh, you know, here's Peter. He simply looks over. He sees Jesus walking on the water and something uh, separated him from the other bros uh, and rose up inside of his spirit. Uh, you know, the natural tendency, and Peter's uh, had his, his sinking fits. We understand this. Uh, but the natural tendency is just simply to hunker down, pray uh, for deliverance. Lord, get me out of this. Uh, and so here's an interesting variation. Uh, I can get you out of this. Uh, I can help you to walk over this. And so think about this. Somebody in the boat cries out. It may just be one in this room. For all I know, it might just be one person in this room tonight uh, that cries out and says, God, uh, you know what? Uh, I want to do something uh, uh, so radical and supernatural. Uh, and, uh, and Jesus simply answers him with one word in the affirmative, come. Now think about this. He allows him to bust out. He, he allows uh, the one that asks, the one that sees Jesus in the situation, uh, he allows him to bust out uh, and to leave the others uh, clinging and shivering uh, in their little boat. Uh, and Peter gets to break out simply by catching what Jesus is doing and asking if I can do it too. Mark 6 verse 48 gives an interesting uh, addition to this. Jesus saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary to them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he comes to them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. Now, this is fascinating, because it tells us that, you know, God's not playing mind games. So we need to, we need to, we need to camp with this, for a little, this, this concept for a little bit. Uh, how many situations do we get into... Very naturally, we hunker down, we white-knuckle ourselves uh, into that situation. Uh, we begin to try to think, how am I going to bail myself out? How am I going to make it through? Uh, uh, you know, we begin to, our mind begins to go through all of the different things we can do in the natural. Uh, and, uh, and so, as uh, this uh, version of Mark, uh, uh, Jesus is walking over the uh, turmoil. He's got dominion. Uh, it's all underneath his feet. Uh, no, it didn't catch him by surprise what's happened out there and so he's marching to them uh, and yet it makes this statement and God's not playing mind games he made as though he would walk right by them 
That tells me something. That means that they had to see him and they had to lift their head from their uh, situation and all of their pressure that they were under, their, their, their temptation to go emo, and they had to lift their head and something had to rise up inside of them that said, you know, I believe that God uh, it hasn't abandoned me. I don't think that I'm just cast adrift on the vicissitudes of life. Uh, God's got to be around here somewhere. And as they locked in and saw him and began to cry out to him, uh, that's what arrested to Jesus Christ. Uh, that's what drew Jesus' presence to them uh, and made available the supernatural. In other words, uh, lift up your head and behold, uh, uh, the help of the Lord is near. You see, right at this point, we need to make a critical distinction between presumptive foolishness to jump off the pinnacle. That's just being foolish. Well, I'm going to do something just to make something happen. God's going to have to clean up the mess. Well, I'm going to tell you something. You jump from the pinnacle and there is going to be a mess. There's a difference between that and being in a place that you know that God has sent you. You know that you know is the will of God. And as you're trying to do that uh, will of God, you're encountering, as he told us we're going to encounter, severe opposition because hell doesn't kick a dead dog. And so we're going to have some uh, uh, tough situations that we're in. Uh, But praise be to God, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Uh, And it's right here uh, uh, that uh, we get a a, a distinction uh, is that we have to get a word from Jesus. And I can't uh, can't emphasize that enough and underscore that enough. We have to get a rhema from Jesus. This makes all the difference uh, in every single circumstance you and I will encounter for God uh, is can we find Jesus and can we communicate our our urgency? Can we communicate our request to him uh, and get a uh, a solid answer back? Yes, you may come. uh, And if we have a rhema from God, I say, uh, I don't care how many are against us. uh, More are they that are for us than they that are, are for them. I've been reviewing in my mind a number of those that refuse to just accept things the way they are. David encounters this imposing, intimidating, and we're talking pioneer talk. This giant. Now, think with me. Here's this guy. He's massive in stature, way towering above the, uh, the, you know, the uh, small Jew. And so uh, for 40 days, this guy has uh, uh, strolled out uh, and simply by bellowing uh, and belching his, uh, his blasphemy at the people of God, uh, there has not been one sword cross. There's not been one arrow fly uh, that has flown. Uh, and this man has literally uh, uh, deflated the entire army of God without firing one shot merely by speaking. Words. Can I tell you, having pioneered three times, uh, I know Goliath. I've met his bad breath, and there is no cure for it. I don't care how many Altoids you give him. And his approach to you is to harass you with that bad breath. Uh, and it's not going to be giving him Altoids that's going to solve the problem. Uh, you're going to have to t- take his head off. Here's a brother that has written me a, an email, and I always encourage young men, you know what, 
uh, do something for God. David comes on this situation. He says, no, this aggression doesn't have, is not going to stand. He looks at Goliath. He says, well, I'll go out. And even in spite of uh, his two brothers that begin to, or his eldest brother, Eliab, uh, begins to say, oh, yeah, I know you. I know you. You have a, a naughty heart or a presumptive, a presumptive heart. Uh, and so I want to tell you something. The moment that you decide that you're going to uh, do something uh, daring for God, beware. You're always going to be met by uh, two disciples, uh, Brother Toad and Brother Dud. It's acronyms. Toad, terrified of another's determination, and dud, uh, uh, defeated, unwilling disciple. Beware of toad and dud. They dwell in every congregation. And by the way, beware of being toad and dud. <laughs> Only God knows how many destinies might possibly have been murdered by dud and toad. You know what, if you're called by God, young man, and I'm not going to put you on the spot right now anyway, but if you're called by God, what are you doing? Are you fighting anybody? I mean, I'm, I'm talking in a spiritual sense. Are you, are you, are you uh, sharpening your skills, or do you have some personal outreach that you're doing, or you just simply wait for the crowd, and, uh, and only uh, I'm going to... Uh, I'm called from God, for God to take a whole nation for Jesus, but I only witness for 30 minutes, uh, and I pass out papers on Saturday at 10.30 in the morning. What's wrong with that picture? Well, there's a lot wrong with that picture. See, I got a little note here I want to share. Pastor, this comes from our pioneer pastor in uh, Denver. I have an unbelievable testimony from this morning that I wanted to share before I run off to work. I told you about a couple weeks ago about the family of three adults that came in and prayed on a Sunday night. Uh, since then, I've called and stopped by, etc., and just haven't been able to get them back out to church. We've been seeing people pray regularly, but it's been pulling teeth to get them to come to church faithfully. And all the pioneers say, Amen. I told you. Well, this morning, while I was at the church praying, I was saying things like, God, I can't make them come. You're going to have to make them come. God, please, pretty please. (laughs) I read my Bible a bit, got up to leave. God spoke to me, and I know this sounds silly. God spoke to me to walk over to Robert's house, which is on the other side of the dirt field next to the church. And I would find Robert outside. Feeling a bit ridiculous, I began walking over. I could see that Robert's house uh, from the beginning, and I was praying things like, God, they're not there. Look, I can, see their ho- I can see their house. Nobody's outside. I felt like God said, just keep walking. I answered, how far, Lord? I can see their house. They're not outside. God said, just keep walking. The field is walled in by large shrubs like oleanders. And when I got up to the sidewalk on my side of the street, I could hear a motor running. I peeked around the shrubs, and there was an idling pickup truck with Robert inside. He looked right at me, and I had him. I walked over and told him, good morning. I know this may sound silly, but I was praying at the church, and God told me to come speak to you. You're on our hearts. We're praying for you, and I'd just like to help you serve God. We spoke for a couple of minutes, and he shared some of the difficulties they've been having. And at the end of the conversation he thanked me for coming by and said we'll come this wednesday i was grinning all the way back to the church and called my wife to share the testimony she was laughing and crying and said in so many words i was just praying moments ago that god would speak to you about specific people it just reinforces the fact that god really loves people and he's even willing to use us as we are to reach them praise god now 
if you're listening carefully, let, let it sink down into your ears. Because on a general level, we are to witness to anybody, everybody. But I want to tell you something. God has what I call divine appointments. And if we'll put our antennas out, if we will, you know, prayer is not just simply speaking to God and just uh, uh, like a machine gun speaking in tongues and like a machine gun uh, just going through uh, your list of uh, prayer duties. And, but prayer is also setting out a, a receiver to hear that still small whisper of God and to allow God to have access to speak to you. It's not just simply a one-way barrage, ba 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 ba, and then we go off to work. But if we would learn to cultivate an ear that says, God, speak, O God, for thy servant has an ear to hear, you know, we might be truly amazed at the divine appointments that happen and that God really does have people that he has in every one of our cities. He has much people in all of our cities. Uh, they're just waiting to be touched. Uh, and there is such a thing as timing with God. Uh, and if we, can, uh, if we can ride that wave, glory to God, uh, we might see um, and, and be uh, amazed at how many fantastic things that we encounter. I love the story of Jonathan. You know, he said, enough spinning the wheels. And he decides to go have some outreach. First Samuel 14, verse 6. And Jonathan said to the young man that bear his armor, Come, and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord, to save by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that's in your heart. Turn thee. Behold, I'm with thee according to thy heart. They went up and unceremoniously kicked some uh, tail end, uh, and they had a great revival, um, and the Lord chimed in uh, with an earthquake. No earthquake until they decided to go have uh, some fun and, uh, and upset the devil's nest. Thank you. How the Lord loves to see men of, of initiative. How the Lord says, you know what? You don't have to wait forever because that, uh, that portion of Scripture in 1 Samuel 14, 1, now it came to pass upon a day. And I've underlined that. It came to pass upon a day. It didn't say that this was a, you know, a, you know, a special day that was marked out. It just simply says Jonathan stirred himself up um, and he said, let's do something. Uh, and God got involved uh, and it was just another day like any other day that we have before us. Uh, I love Psalms 118 verse 24. This is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now. I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. You see, the devil's master stroke is to get us to sing that old tired hymn, Later, later. I'm not done yet. Waiting, waiting. da dee dee da 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 Waiting, waiting. Why are you cringing? You know, if this fellowship gave me a chance, I could bust out into the rock and roll world. But you see, the Lord knows, and he had mercy, and he put me where I need to be. Amen. Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 4, He that observes the wind shall not sow, and he that regards the clouds shall not reap. You know, I want to just mention... When I took over the church in Tempe in, in October of 1999, it was a violated congregation. It, its top service was around 190. In the next 14 months, we lost 90 people. And, uh, and the first service, Pastor Mammon's son, uh, Casey, Robert Dodd, both of these young men sat across from a Dunkin' Donuts uh, uh, table and asked me, Pastor, 
uh, can we ask you a question? I said, certainly. They said, uh, are we going to plant churches here in uh, Tempe? Now, you've got to understand, the pastor that had come in had hijacked that church. What he had done is he turned it into the good time gospel hour. And I despise that. And I despise people that do that. Amen. Uh, for uh, uh, who knows how many untold destiny, uh, uh, destinies have been uh, uh, boarded. And so what, they, what he had done uh, is he had eliminated all prayer. He had eliminated all outreach. No music scene. Uh, basically re- uh, had uh, reduced it down to three services, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday. And so um, when we got there, uh, we began to say, you know what? We're going to impose some standards again you're not gonna you know you're not gonna have ministry uh, if you're going to um, uh, be going to the shows uh, and uh, you know you have your big screen uh, 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 idols there you know what uh, uh, we've come to um, uh, have some rock and roll for Jesus Christ anybody into rock and roll and so uh, well there were quite a few that weren't and uh, there was about uh, 90 that walked out and they uh, and you say how do you know it was 90 because I counted them But in the process of time, God raised up people that really do have a heart. God has helped us. I have a list in my hand of 28 couples that have been launched out of the Tempe Church. 16 of these are pioneer couples out of Tempe. We've had five redirections. And you know what? It's a risk. But you see, in the last seven years... And you don't have an excuse. I'm going to tell you this right now. I have people that come to me and they say, uh, well, you know, uh, our pastor's always going to. It's always going to. It's always going to down the road. And this is what upset this couple in, uh, in Australia. They're always going to. Uh, going to serve somebody else's destiny. Yeah? And I'm here to give you a charge. I'm not here to make friends because I fear God more than I fear you. I'm here to tell you something. You have a, a limited window of opportunity. Yeah? Who knows? The Lord may take you home tomorrow. And you better get busy about the king's business. It requires and I thought to myself, you know, as I was just jotting down these names, I had one uh, a person that's bailed on us, uh, but uh, uh, most of these are, uh, other than this one couple that bailed on us, uh, they're still serving God. Uh, we've got uh, nine couples that, that uh, went out uh, of Tempe that have viable works. Uh, we have uh, missionaries that we placed uh, in uh, four of the nations of the world. We have, um, uh, we have some that have come in for redirection uh, and been recalibrated, refreshed, uh, launched back out, doing tremendous. Uh, and so you know what? Um, You've got to be serious about this. You can't be always saying, well, uh, you know, it's not the right time. Ecclesiastes says if you observe the wind, you're always not going to sow. There's always going to be a reason not to. And I want to challenge you. I say this to everybody that I come into contact with these days. Uh, I say, who are you personally grooming uh, uh, to send out to the next conference? Now, you may only have five people. You might not even have anybody uh, except your wife uh, and your kids, but you still should be proclaiming to that congregation, we're going to make disciples, we're going we're to evangelize, we're going to make disciples, we're going to plant uh, churches, uh, and we're going to take the world for Jesus Christ. And you say, well, that sounds foolish, and I'll feel like I have egg on my face. So what? Since when were we trying to impress the religious Joneses down the street? Every time we've launched, God's given us increase of people and resources. And I I can't take the time to go over all the miracles, but miracle after miracle after miracle. And I love the story of Gideon because Gideon says, you know what? Uh, These Midianites, uh, here they come. They time it right to come at our time of harvest. Isn't that it? During revivals. 
during the new converts, when the new converts come, you're gonna, you can just be assured the Midianites are going to mount up uh, and they're going to come in and they're going to try to rip off your fruit. But I like Gideon. Oh, Gideon, he might not have been the bravest boy at, on the block, but at least he said, I'm going to defy you. You know, I have three older brothers and I learned to defy. I got the stuffing beat out of me time after time after time. And the only, only weapon I had was just to defy them. Kill me then. <laughs> and there's something to be said about that. I know today's political correctness, you know, we mustn't have Miho and Miha have a fight. Let them fight it out. Here's Gideon says, you know what? Later for these Midianites, I'm going to get some of my grain. I'm going to get some of this. By hook or crook, I'm going to get some of this. Uh, I've, we've worked hard. Midianites um, come in. They hog it all, and they rip us off. We do the work, and they run off with the spoils. And anybody that's ever been involved in working with new converts or pioneering converts, you know that the enemy comes. Uh, he can smell like a shark smells blood in the water, uh, and he'll come for those new converts. Uh, and Gideon says, this is our fruit. Uh, and so in, and in behind the wine press, uh, he's threshing some wheat. Uh, and who shows up but God's? You know what? Uh, Because you've rebelled against hell, uh, God dug it. And so in Judges 6, verse 11, there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which which was in Oprah, uh, that pertained uh, unto Joash, uh, the Abbi Ezrite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon says, "Uh, Who, me? You're kidding, man. I'm shaking uh, and trembling in behind here. I'm worried that you're a Midianite. Uh, and God says, no, dude, no. You might have some tremors. Uh, you might have some wavering in your voice. Uh, but you've got something in your backbone that a lot of people don't have. Uh, and God's with you. And I don't care what you think about yourself or your own abilities. Uh, I am with you. Uh, and the Lord's going to use you to deliver uh, uh, the people of God. See, those that did exploits were not particularly confident in super studs. They're just common people willing to risk and step out of the boat. Daniel eleven thirty two. the people that do know their God shall be strong and shall do exploits. I love the audacious faith that David speaks in the devil's face in his, to his crowd. Psalms eighteen twenty seven. For you will save the humble people, but will bring down haughty looks. For you will light my lamp. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. I want to add to that. Daring not only attracts God, but it also attracts the attention of men. You know, most men can be stirred by a worthy cause and can be roused to rise up. I believe that saying by William Barclay that, down inside of the hearts of men, there lies a sleeping hero that waits to be awakened. And that sleeping hero can be triggered to overcome cowardice and overcome laziness and overcome fear. There are those times in life that call and stir the juices inside of men to rise up and to say, you know something, I'm going to do something. I'm going to act heroically and I'm going to I'm going to tap into some resources that I never knew I had. There's a little illustration that brings us out out of the Lewis and Clark expedition. Pastor uh, Anthony Tilly shared. I, I wanted to get this. This was a guy that went with them. His name is John Coulter. After they finished the expedition, listen to this. After they finished the expedition, 
He enjoyed the wilderness so much that he decided to stay. He would hunt for food and live off the land. It was very, very difficult. He had no house or car equipment. He had to fight with the uh, uh, Native Americans and grizzly bears. But John Coulter is famous for one event in his life, and that was the race that he ran. One day he was with his friend John Potts canoeing down the river, heard a sound of rustling in the trees on either side of the river, and they saw that they were surrounded by Indians. These Indians had their bows and arrows drawn, and they paddled up to the bank of the river and stepped out of the canoe. He knew that if he acted afraid that they would kill him or torture him. John Potts got scared and decided to try to make a run for it. They shot him and killed him uh, with their arrows. The Indians then took John Coulter. They stripped him naked and tied him down and held a powwow while they were deciding what to do with him. John Coulter could not could understand some of the language, and he heard them talk about the best way to kill him. They were saying, let's burn him alive, let's skin him alive, or let's whip him to death, etc., and so on. And so he knows he's about to be killed. He's totally naked, and he's tied down. Finally, the chief came, came over to him and asked him, hey, can you run very fast? So with great wisdom, he said, no, I'm as slow as a turtle. The Indian smiled and then took him to the sandy plain, very wide, flat, and barren. They marked a line in the sand. They chose a number of the Indians and let them each choose their favorite weapon. Some chose a tomahawk, others a knife or a spear or the bow and arrow. Then they gave John Coulter a 300-meter head start. They marked it out in the sand. So John had a choice that he could either try to outrun them and stay alive But each of these braves uh, uh, would be given a high honor if they were the one that was able to kill him, uh, that uh, this white man had 300-meter head start. This man's totally naked. He has no shoes. And he begins running in the race of his life because he was literally was running for his life. He saw that the plane was about six miles before he hit uh, trees and river. So he began to run. They're chasing after him. They have moccasins. And the first mile, he's running over stones and, and, uh, and cactus. His feet are getting torn and cut. He can't stop and say, my feet hurt. This isn't fair. They're violating me. Because they're going to kill him. And after two miles, they've closed the gap to 200 meters. And by the time he hits the four-mile uh, mark, The exertion was so intense that he began to bleed from his mouth and his ears. And now one of the braves is only 50 meters behind him. He's close to losing his life. All of a sudden, he stopped, turned around, threw his arms up. uh, And the Indian was so surprised, he threw the spear at him. But he missed him. So John Coulter grabbed the spear and killed the brave. He took off running again. When he reached the line of the trees at the six-mile mark, he dove into the river, went underneath some logs and hid. And when all the braves came, they were even climbing up on top of the logs where he was underneath. He just had his nose out of the water enough to breathe. The water was freezing cold. He stayed there all day and all night, and finally they went away. And he got out, and he was suffering from hypothermia. The problem was uh, he was 150 miles from the nearest civilization. He's naked, has no weapons, and the Indians are still after him. It was 10 days later that John Coulter stumbled into a, a camp. He had made 156 miles in 10 days, all cut up, exhausted, delirious, and near death, but he won the race of his life. Now... That does stir men. I want to just get a Kodak moment. That does stir us. Because the real truth is, is we're all functioning on just maybe 3 to 5%. And you know it. And just because everybody else is functioning on 3 or 5%, we feel like, you know what? Uh, we, uh, you know, well, you know, I don't want to make any waves. And, you know, everybody else is doing about the same uh, pokey pace that I'm doing. 
But I'm, I, I'm just telling you, I'm just here, gone tomorrow. Maybe some of you be glad I'm gone. But I'm just here to tell you, we're not hitting on all of our cylinders. And you know it. And we can do better. And we can do more. And you know, there's causes that have to reach out and grab our heart and have to, uh, have to make us move from simply being, oh, that was a nice sermon, Pastor. Oh, that one really tickled my ears in such a way that I, ooh, I feel love. <laughs> Versus men of God saying, you know something? I believe God's called me to make a difference. It was 9-11. They redefined the definition of hero. Michael Jordan came out of retirement. It was announced the basketball world thought that Oh, everyone's going to be giddy with excitement because he's such a sports hero. Yet on that very day, America had redefined what a hero really is. 300 plus brave men and women ran into the very uh, face of harm's way, you could say. And we can refocus what a hero is. A hero is some, you know, what an inspiration when you think about it. What an inspiration that these people said, you know, in the line of duty, and only the Lord knows who was saved, who wasn't saved, but if natural men can be stirred to those kinds of heights, and natural men can be stirred just to be a man, or brave women as well, that, you know what, um, I'm going to respond to a need, I'm going to respond, I don't have to, they could have copped out, they could have said, I have a tummy ache, uh, they could have said, uh, you know, I'll go, I'll go get some water for you, they could have copped out to all kinds of reasons, uh, but those people put themselves in harm's way. You know, I preached a sermon in Russia, and I appreciate the nation of Russia, it's very manly, and I appreciate that, uh, and I, I'm, I'm tired of these people that come to me with their emotion, men that come with all these emotional things, I, I don't dig it. I preached a sermon. This man came to me and, and began to respond. He told me something. I asked him if he would write it down. Hello, my name is Alexander. I'm 26 years old, six years in the ministry. When I was a kid, we used to go to my grandmother with my parents. My grandfather was over 60 years old at that time. When he was a young man of 17 years old, he was enlisted in the army of the Soviet Union and took part in World War II against Germany. He was a sniper. In 1942, he lost one of his legs on a mine. He was demobilized and granted a Medal of Honor. I remember as a kid, I would take his gold medal of honor and try it on my chest. As I was looking at this medal, something was moving in my boy's heart. Some hidden, uh, deep, something hidden deeply in my boy's heart. A desire to fight, to run, and earn my own gold medal uh, of honor someday. Out of the mouths of sucklings and babes, God touches a primal instinct. And, you know, there's a lot of junk food that gets kids crazy. There's a lot of spiritual junk food that gets Christians crazy and diverted. You know what? There is a sacred call, and I'm not ashamed to say that God needs to um, uh, stir us. God needs to be able to reach in and agitate. God needs to be able to reach in and pinch you. Some of us are acting like we're already going to cash out our 401s and retire on the back deck someplace, uh, 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 smoking a corncob pipe uh, and and telling great stories of uh, used to be and what we used to do. There's other chapters that God has. It was when David did what he did that men came. Even the king's son said, you rule, man, and I'm with you. And he made an act of of, uh, of, uh, commitment and an act of uh, covenant. 
And this stirs people when we see uh, those that are willing to rise up. Acts 4.13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. We were down in Caracas, Venezuela. And so our pastor put us in one of these barrios, and I remember when we walked in, I had this feeling that the back of my hair began to uh, bristle because it was just like we parachuted in uh, to Mardi Gras. And I'm talking about not just some light little, uh, I, you know, where I come from, we have the ASU 50,000 students, Mill Avenue. It's a, it's, a, uh, it's a zoo, a bunch of party animals get down there. And, they, you know, Americans can make a good ruckus. But this was a pretty intense scene. We're marching in. I got uh, six, seven young men that are from my church. They're going to play some uh, some uh, kind of grunge music. Uh, that's not the Latino flavor down in uh, in uh, Caracas. And so this, on the face of this, and all of a sudden, you know, you ever plan something and then you're starting to execute it, and all of a sudden it hits you, <laughs> you're insane. <laughs> and so we're walking into this place in Mardi Gras. And it's and it's rough Mardi Gras. It's it's a, it's a, it's a, got a spirit of violence and a spirit of uh, of uh, insanity. And so here we go. And I'm thinking to myself, oh brother. And so um, uh, we um, fire up. It's lousy equipment. The music is you know they're just uh, everybody's kind of uh, you know is having one of those uh, one of those nights. And so um, then the preaching comes uh, and the spirit of God come on that scene. And I saw God literally tame these wild crazy men and women, turn them into pussy cats uh, and I'll never forget the feeling uh, of having a bunch of I think it was about 18 that answered the altar call that night uh, but the spirit of dominion came down on the place they hushed up they began to uh, be focused on the preaching uh, many of them answered the altar call at the end there's big barrel chested man one eye was gouged out big scar across his face uh, came over to me as tame as a pussy cat said you know thank you for coming uh, and please come tomorrow night as well uh, and uh, and come earlier and I thought to my Myself, God, you are too, too much. Only God could have done this. I mean, this is on the face of it. It's ludicrous. Uh, and uh, God has stepped in the next night. We're there. It starts raining. Most of the people take off. And so Brother Pat Hermes is with us. Uh, and he's over witnessing probably from here to the wall. He's got his back. All of a sudden, two thugs come up, hit him on the chest, uh, put a gun under his chin, uh, divest him of his uh, uh, camcorder and his, uh, and his uh, uh, camera, and uh, threaten to kill him and take off. And so, you know, here's an interesting thing. Uh, so one of our council members almost just got his head blown off. So I'm wondering, you know, put a good face on it, you know, play a little poker. Yeah, Pat, well, Pat's saying, oh, Pastor, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry they got the camcorder. And I'm thinking, dude, I could care less about the camcorder. I'm just so thankful that you're, you know, still vertical. Hallelujah. And, uh, and praise God. I mean, Beth's over there and Jordan's over there. You know, I'm, I'm thanking God that you're still alive, man. And so, you know, but I was curious the next night because it was one more night of the crusade. That dude walked right back in there. He's laboring, sweating, pour, sweat's pouring off his brow. He's witnessing. He's helping. Uh, no whinging spirit. Uh, no, you know, well, uh, you know, I, I can't go tonight because I'm having, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very emotional for me because I had an emotional thing happen to me last night. And I, I just really don't think that, you know, I don't think I'm called to this. And, 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 and I, I don't think that I'm going to be able to make it. I just can't deal with it. In my book, his stock went way up. I love what the Aussies call cotton candy, fairy fluff. (laughs) 
let me close. When you step out of the boat, you might have your sinking spell, and Peter did. You pioneer, you do something for God, you're not going to have every, every day uh, home runs, grand slams. Our fellowship, we've done lots of things. We've had a lot of hits. But you know what? The Spirit of God is into what we're, what we're all about. And God has raised us up for such a time as this. You know, normal people, of course, we have, we have our fears that we wrestle with. We have issues and we have sinking spells. But there's nothing like it un- under the entire uh, sun or under creation. There's nothing like saying, God, I'm, I'm willing to do something. I'm not, I'm not talking about presumptive. I'm not talking about just you on a wild, you know, hair going off. I'm talking about, God, this is your will clearly and God, I need your help. I need you to uh, boost my courage. I need you to uh, enable me. You know, when we went into Davao City, I'm, I'm drawing this to a close. About three, four months in, they murdered a missionary's wife. A, fe- a fellow missionary's wife was brutally murdered. And uh, it was just uncanny how many different uh, similarities between their family and ours. The same age. They had three kids. We had three kids. Same You know, I'd looked at that house before he got it. Uh, I had ordered furniture from the same uh, uh, furniture maker and so on and so on. Just so many things that were so uh, spooky uh, uh, that were very uh, similar. And so I can remember going to the memorial service. This husband is is brokenhearted. His wife's name was Randy Adams. He's got his wife's Bible. She's got notes, and, and he's, he's pointing out where she made inscriptions and notes, and he's weeping. And I remember thinking as I came out of there, I'm going to tell you the honest truth, man. I was afraid because I didn't, nobody knew. They left 24,000 pesos sitting on, on the counter, and they didn't touch that money. And so nobody, the worst part of it is, what was the motive? Were they just now indiscriminately starting to kill uh, Christians? I mean, like, this is for real. You can talk about getting a track thrown in your face, uh, crumpled up and thrown in your face. Oh, I was persecuted for Jesus. I bear in my body. <laughs> it's another thing. The man's wife is dead. And I'm going to tell you something. I heard some voices come against my calling and challenge my rights and undermine my confidence that it wasn't going to be any man, mortal man, that was going to be able to buck me up and brace me. I had to get a hold of God. I had to have God's voice speak to me. And I'm happy to tell you something. I went behind closed door and I wept to God. I said, God, do I have a right to do this? Do I have a right to even, and God dealt with me. And I'll tell you one of the things God dealt with me. You can say whatever you want to say. I'm just, I'm just the mailman delivering mail. God dealt with me. He said, so is my gospel worth dying for? Oh, that's always somebody else's call. <laughs> Seek ye the best gifts. So I haven't heard too many people uh, ask for the best gift of the martyr's gift. And I'm not, uh, I'm not, you know, I don't have a death wish, believe me. But I'm just talking about when you're facing reality and it happened to somebody else, like really, really close. Their name, last name was Adams. As I'm looking down at the directory of uh, the little missionary community, there's probably about 20 missionaries. We have a little uh, uh, school directory, Faith Academy school directory. Their name, uh, uh, Stephen and Randy Adams, was first. Guess whose name was second on the list with the address? That's Olson, A-U-L, not Olson. And when I saw that, 
And a demon spirit came off of that piece of paper and hit me. And it was like, oh, my God, we're next. And you can, you can chuckle nervously all you want. I wasn't chuckling nervously. I was like, God, I didn't really think that this was what was going to be involved in being a missionary. And it was in that time when hell was trying and people were giving, you know, well-meaning advice. I can get you an Uzi. I can get you an M16. I can hook you up with the monkeys. I can hook you up with geese. You say, why? Because they're the best watchdogs there are. And all, you, know, I'm, you know, my military mind is going in, you know. And, you know, so I'm going to have a perimeter. Trip wires. Booby traps. 15 dogs. Make my wife Annie Oakley. That wasn't going to work. I'll tell you what did work. Went up into my bedroom, closed the door, began to lay hold of, of Isaiah chapter 40, the backside of Isaiah chapter 40, and where God begins to move in a powerful, redemptive way for his people. God began to speak to me, and God brought me over to Hebrews uh, chapter 11, that great chapter, and he said, by faith, they escaped the edge of swords. They closed the mouth of lions. They put to flight the armies of aliens. Uh, they were able to subdue kingdoms by faith. And God spoke a word to me that put some steel down my hollow backbone. And I'm here to tell you something that to this day, when I step across the threshold into Devout City, uh, I feel something supernatural. And what I'm talking about, I don't know any other way to convey to you, as we have over 100 churches now in that, in that part of the fellowship uh, of, uh, of the Philippines, uh, I have no way to convey to you other than God help me 